Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio. I'm Louis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large of EdSource. Welcome, John. Great to be back, Louis. Well, this week, we'll be talking about a potentially huge change in how California awards its teaching credentials. We'll also discuss some of the broader implications of the decision announced last week by the California State University to drop its intermediate algebra requirement for some students as a prerequisite to take college-level math courses. And I know a lot of you are preparing for the solar eclipse coming up a week after next. And uh, we'll talk with Carolyn Jones, our math and science reporter, about how teachers are incorporating the solar eclipse into their science curriculum in some pretty innovative ways. That's an exciting event. I've got my solar eclipse glasses on order, and I plan to head to Oregon, wherever I can find a spot to watch. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll be talking more about that with Carolyn, who actually knows a lot more about this than you and I together, John. But uh, before we get there, let's jump into looking at some legislation, new legislation that Governor Brown signed a couple of weeks ago. It actually got no attention, and uh, it probably should have gotten more. And John, you wrote about it this week. It has to do with how teachers are credentialed in California. What what was the substance of this bill? And what was the what was the, the bill number? Assembly Bill 170. Okay. Sponsored by Patrick O'Donnell, who himself is a former teacher. He's in the Assembly, right? He is. He's from uh, Long Beach. And you have to go back with a little bit of history. So in 1961 or 2, the legislature said we, you can no longer major in education, which is basically a program to produce teachers, the, all the methods, courses to become a teacher. We want to so stress... Just wait. So education would be like the history of education, pedagogy, like a more practical-oriented course? Yeah, courses. lots of hands-on preparation for teachers. And on, traditionally, you did it in four years. You got your teacher credential. After four years. That's right. Okay. All states did, and California made an exception. This was a time of Sputnik, and the Russians were being us in science and math, so people thought. And so they said, we really want teachers to know more content, subject matter, and less methodology, less pedagogy in their courses. So we're going to say... They wanted teachers to have really focused or absorbed at least one academic discipline. Yeah, yeah, that's right. As as a major. So we're not going to allow so-called education majors. Instead, we're going to say, get a BA in another subject, and then in your fifth year, or after you get your degree, then you have a year where you can learn to be a teacher. Go do student teacher, take all the practical courses. That's the way California was going to do it. And it's been that way for the most part for 55 years. Basically, it took five years. You got to get your four-year undergraduate degree majoring in some academic subject, and then one extra year. Yes, at least, as it's turned out, we've added requirements for getting a teacher credential, and it's turned into a year and a half with summers, sometimes two years. Because they found that actually you couldn't cram all that teacher preparation into one year. Yeah, back in the 60s, they thought it was relatively easy. Okay. And they've realized it's a different state now, and we we're, we want teachers to be more rigorous in how they learn teaching. So Patrick O'Donnell... Who's, a, as you mentioned, is a teacher himself. So he, that's right. he brings that experience to the table. He said it's time to reintroduce the education major. 
So he proposed a bill. This idea had been around. Tom Torlakson, the state superintendent, had been saying we should do this. It was in his report, Greatness by Design. But it hasn't happened. So this bill actually sailed through the legislature. It was by consent, which is what you do when there's no debate. And it uh, was unheralded. In fact, uh, I haven't seen it written about myself. Okay, so fine. This looks, this could, in fact, uh, herald a kind of sea change for students who want to get their credential in four years. But uh, what's the catch then? A big catch. A couple catches, really. One catch is all of our teachers taking the programs, get, a lot of them get Pell Grants in that, for that fifth-year program. But generally Pell Grants are for undergraduates, and, and the federal government made an exception for California to give Pell Grants for after BA degree. That fifth year. That fifth year. And this law has been in effect a long time. You can't get to Pell Grant if your institution where you're studying also has education major. I'm not quite sure where this came about, but it's a big stumbling block. Because now if colleges go ahead and recreate this education major, at least the California State University, the biggest producer of credentials, are really worried about losing their Pell Grants. Okay. It's, but the Pell Grants, just for the students who are taking the fifth year. That's right. And that's where most teachers still get their credentials. Oh, by far. So that would mean that a lot of students who are low income would not be able to get a Pell Grant for that fifth year. That's right. If... This institution offered this education major. Reintroduced the education major in four years. So it's a big sticking point. And the other thing that's happened is that, you know, CSU and other places have really kind of worked around this this prohibition against education majors. They now offer what's called an integrated or blended program where you can get a credential and you can get a BA in four years working summers using majors other than education. And it wasn't popular. A lot of people didn't want it because it required a lot of extra work on summers and it didn't quite work out at the university level. But now in the past couple of years, CSU is going back and plan use $10 million in planning grants in the state budget a couple of years ago is really pushing this integrated program leading to a credential in four years. In four years. Okay, well, that's similar to what uh, O'Donnell's bill. Very similar. So the question is, we've now passed this landmark legislation saying, hey, you can go ahead and do it what most states do, which is offer a general education major. You can do that in California. And now everyone's looking around and say, well, may make no difference, at least in the short run, after all. Okay, well, just to clarify then, what is CSU saying about how are they going to try to get around this prohibition of getting Pell Grants for the fifth year if you offer the four-year education major or vice versa? Yes, yeah, see, they don't offer an education major, and they don't plan on doing it again. They offer what's called liberal studies for elementary and middle school, and then for high school teachers, majors in math or history or English. And Patrick O'Donnell's bill actually will only apply to elementary and middle school teachers, they get what's called a multi-subject credential. Multiple a, subject credential. Yeah, as opposed to like an English major or a math major. But I thought you wrote, John, that they, that they are going to try to explore some ways with the, with the federal government to get a waiver or, or something like that in order to at least explore the possibility of offering an education major. That's right. They may do that. It's unclear whether you need a... The Congress needs to change the law or whether you can get a waiver from the U.S. Department of Education. And they're just beginning to look at it and decide what to do. 
And what kind of response is this gotten from some of the experts in the field? Linda Darling-Hammett is chairperson of the California Teacher Credentialing Commission, for example. I couldn't reach Linda Darling-Hammond. She is, as you said, she chairs the uh, Credentialing Commission. But it's interesting that the commission itself took no position on this bill, and neither did uh, UC or CSU. That's kind of strange. Why would they not take a position on this? Well, I think they're concerned about the Pell Grant issue, and they didn't want to get ahead. And on the other hand, I, Patrick O'Donnell's position, couldn't reach him. He's in Ireland. His vacation this month. Uh, I think his position was you needed to change state law before you then approach the federal government asking for a change. So six to one. So the question, I think, is, um, is it a good change or bad change? Is that? Yeah. I mean, well, you, yeah. Well, what, what's your take on this? I think that CSU, without being explicit, says we like this integrated approach, which adds more content courses than you would get with a regular education major. It's more rigorous. It's more, you know, we can offer it through the liberal studies requiring potential teachers to take more courses. I get a sense that they're not in any hurry to go back to the old days. They recognize teachers need to be better prepared with more knowledge of what they're going to teach. And so it's maybe a different era. Well, I think one thing that this discussion has highlighted is that this whole credentialing issue is complex. And uh, this bill presumably is in response to the shortage of teachers. And so presumably O'Donnell was trying to figure out ways to get students through more quickly and perhaps not have to take a major subject that, that they will never end up having to teach. But uh, whether students would want this, whether the institutions would offer it, it still remains to be seen. Yeah, you're right. It was one thing is that the CSU, when it got all these planning grants for these so-called integrated or blended, they really focused on areas of shortage, special education, STEM, math, and engineering, science. So they're saying we're, we're really dealing with that directly through this integrated approach. Okay, well, we're going to wait till Patrick O'Donnell gets back from Ireland and Linda darling gets back from Washington and get their responses, and we'll be looking at this further. It's a good story to follow. So, Lewis, last week we talked a lot about big changes at CSU with regard to how it's going to treat remediation and an effort to boost graduation rates. We had a long discussion about that. But interestingly enough, this week you took a little different tact. You wrote that one of the elements that can't be lost here is how well K-12 schools prepare students for college. Well, not just one of the elements, it's actually a key element. And it's kind of the obvious point, but I thought needed to be made that ideally students would arrive at the classroom door prepared to take college-level courses. And while there has been substantial progress in preparing students over the last several decades, we still are not there yet. And so really, we should not lose sight of the fact that it's really up to the K-12 system, pre-K-12 system, to better prepare more students so that CSU and UC and the community colleges wouldn't be having to jump through all these hoops and taking on what is really a very expensive proposition for the state to have to be offering all these remedial classes and for the students. Even the changes that they instituted are not going to suddenly eliminate all the obstacles. We know that if students are on this remedial track, it just takes them longer to complete it And often students drop out before they actually even get to the college-level courses that they need to graduate. 
So one of the questions, I guess, would be uh, with the relaxation of some of the standards for remediation and elimination of the entrance exam is whether K-12 is going to then turn around and say, well, the pressure is off on K-12 to produce uh, students college ready. And just just to clarify, and I, I think CSU and the community colleges would kind of object to your characterization of easing the standards. They are saying these are still rigorous standards, just matching the requirements to what students need in their course of study. In yes. other words, they're eliminating the prerequisite of intermediate algebra for students who are not math majors, who may never need intermediate algebra in their careers, and that there are other ways that they could actually meet the math requirement without intermediate algebra. And then I, you're, I think you referred to the entrance exam. I think what you're referring to is these proficiency exams or tests that students had to take which determined what courses they got placed in. And now CSU is saying we're going to get rid of those proficiency tests so that we will actually use other measures like high school grades and scores on the SAT, Smarter Balance, to place students in remedial courses. Yeah, I agree with you. Those are healthy changes. Yeah, so, so that's all well and good. And I think there is a danger that the pressures would be lifted on the K-12 system to a certain extent if the students have a pathway through who are currently not prepared for college-level classes. But on the other hand, what is very interesting and notable is that the main goal of most of the reforms that are in place in the K-12 system is college and career readiness. So the system now, really for the first time, is focused very heavily on getting students to college better prepared. And in fact, as you've written about at great length, this is going to be part of how schools and school districts are evaluated. The state is about to introduce this college and career indicator that's innovative and is going to be part of the California school dashboard. So uh, school districts are focused on getting students better prepared, and there has been significant progress. In fact, if you look at the percentage of students, the numbers of students who have completed the A to G requirements, the course requirements that you need to get into UC and CSU, that has really substantially increased, particularly for low-income students. It's almost tripled over the last decade. So there is progress, but there needs to be more progress. And I think there's progress on the numbers, particularly, of students who do well on the AP exams, which is a measure of how well they're doing. Exactly. And the test scores that we have available, smarter balanced test scores, they are inching up. We only have two years of scores so far. But again, the movement is in the right direction. But one of the challenges here is that this pre-K-12 system is a very decentralized system in California. And, and actually most parts of the United States. We don't have a centralized government system of education. And every school district is governed by its own board of education, elected board. We have over 1,200 charter schools. They're also run pretty independently. And so you don't have the superintendent of public instruction, even the state board of education that can say, do this this way or that way. In fact, the momentum is in the other direction with this local control funding formula that Jerry Brown has championed and is now in full swing. 
Compare that to CSU, which has a board of trustees for its 22 colleges. They can implement these changes on remediation. Same thing you see as a board of regents for the 10 campuses. So really what we need is more coordination between the K-12 system and these systems of higher education. But how do you do it? There's a lot of partnerships, programs, collaborations happening on a local level between local colleges and universities and local school districts. But as a system, it's actually hard to pull off. One of the things that CSU did a number of years ago when it wanted to reduce the remediation rate was to introduce expository writing for seniors in high school. That was a big change. That was a CSU design course. And it said, We recommend that many of your seniors take this course so that you arrive ready for college-level English. They didn't do that for math particularly, and I think now that they're changing the way they look at remediation, now it's another opportunity, I think, for CSU to introduce at a high school level or help design courses that are alternatives to intermediate algebra that will then prepare students who perhaps not going into a STEM major but statistics and the like. Well, and I think as you may recall, John, and some of our listeners may also recall, is that there is some discussion about introducing a fourth year of math, because one of the things that happens, you're now only required, even on the A to G requirements, is to have three years of math. So a lot of students don't take math in the senior year. And this is something I think is well known by any of us who've taken a math course The learning loss when it comes to math is significant. If you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, Absolutely. Reading, we read not as much as we should, but those skills are retained. And that's a problem. When students then get to college, they may not have taken math for a year, or if they've taken off a year for a gap year or, you know, taking them a while to get to college, then that's where they run into problems. Yeah, if not math and sort of quantitative analysis that they will do in, in economics or statistics or the like. And you're right. We, we talk a lot about summer loss for younger kids, and then we ignore the fact that huge numbers of seniors in high school don't take math. I don't think we're ever going to get over or necessarily should even try to get over the notion of local controlled schools. That is just so deeply rooted, and this is part of the democratic system in the United States. But I do think we need a more of a comprehensive plan that links the pre-K-12 system with these other segments of the education system. We really need to be looking at this as a continuous system of education that tracks young people from earliest years all the way through college, and then ideally into the workplace as well. And uh, especially given that that the goal now of the pre-K-12 system is college and career readiness. Yeah, I agree. And we probably could start off with more data because California really doesn't do a good job of tracking what happens after students graduate from high school. Okay, John, you now opened up another can of worms, which we will... (laughs) Next time. We will save for another day. (laughs) Uh, But... To get to a more practical level, we're going to talk in just a few moments with Carolyn Jones, our math and science reporter, about the upcoming solar eclipse. We are here with Carolyn Jones, our EdSource math and science reporter. Carolyn, you had an interesting story, a fun story in this week's uh, EdSource about the 
full solar eclipse that's coming. And you talked about it being an opportunity for teachers to spread the joy of science. So what's happening around that you found in classrooms? Well, the eclipse is very perfectly timed with the start of the school year. (laughs) So it's going to be August 21st in the morning. It'll peak at around 1030 in the morning here in California. And it's a great opportunity I've heard from elementary teachers, science teachers all up and down the state to take their kids outside and make give them a pinhole viewer and really learn about space, the earth, the sun, and experience this just really incredible rare treat. Of course, a lot of schools aren't in session by the 21st, so they will be losing out, at least in terms of a classroom instruction. That's right. For the schools that haven't started, there are science centers all up and down the state, basically in every city in California, that are doing special programs for the eclipse that kids can go to and teachers can go to and parents. It's a great opportunity for parents to do a great science project with their kids. And also NASA and a bunch of other age, National Park Service, they all have special curriculum built around this. You can go online and you know learn about it yourself and talk to your kid about it and learn what you can do, you know, the safe ways to watch the eclipse. Yeah, you mentioned that. So that's key, right? When teachers take their students outside. Yes. Don't look straight at it. <laughs> that's for adults too. Of that's right. Don't look straight at it. You might go blind. But you can make a really simple pinhole viewer where you just take a sheet of paper and put a pinhole through it and put it between the sun and another surface, like another piece of paper, and you will see a little crescent forming when the eclipse happens. Or you can get glasses online. They're about $3 each. Uh, Libraries have them too for free. and That's a great way to watch the eclipse. Or you can watch it live streamed on the NASA website. I think I ordered mine. It was $10. Must be supply and demand here at work. So why is it so exciting? What's so interesting about the solar eclipse? Well, eclipses happen, you know, every year all the time. What's interesting about this eclipse is that it's right over the United States. Usually we don't see them. They're in the middle of the night or they're over the Atlantic Ocean or over the North Pole or something. This is right It's going right across the United States, and it's at a convenient time. (laughs) So it's just a great opportunity for kids to learn. I must say, it dates me, but it was uh, 47 years ago I was in Boston for for a full eclipse, and it was fascinating. Was it? Well, I'm told that if you're right under it and you're right in the path of the eclipse, it'll be a total eclipse. Here in California, it'll just be about 75%. But if you're in the right spot, it'll become like night. So I I guess we should mention this. Is there a connection here with the Next Generation Science Standards? Why, yes, John, there is. (laughs) Astronomy is a big part of the Next Generation Science Standards, kindergarten all the way through high school. So this is another great opportunity for teachers to really incorporate the standards and other kinds of science as well. Great. Well, thanks, Carolyn. And, and, And where will you be spending the eclipse? I will be outside (laughs) with my eclipse glasses up in Northern California. Looking forward to it. Thanks, John. And if we were really prepared, John, we would have an outro music here. Here Comes the Sun from the Beatles, which I understand you had listened to on the radio when you heard the 1970 eclipse. It was blasted all over the quad, yes. Okay. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week in California Education. If you'd like to hear more about these and other topics, please go to our website at edsource.org. Please take a look at the symposium, EdSource's upcoming symposium on education for all serving California's vulnerable children. 
The agenda is on our website, very exciting, October 5th in Oakland. We really encourage those of you who are in striking distance to come. I'm Lewis Friedberg, here with John Fensterwald. Our producer is Sarah Tan. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.